Welcome to episode seven. I'm delighted now to be joined by Chris Flack from Unplug. Chris, how are you? I'm fantastic, Fergus. How are you? And we have another interesting accent on the podcast. Just tell me where you're from originally, Chris. Uh, I'm from Hampshire in England, but I've been here for 15 years. So hopefully one day I'll develop a little bit of an Irish accent, but for now it's as is. Yeah. So, so you, looking at your bio, you had a long history in corporate life. So what was the catalyst to get out of that and into something like Unplug? Sure. Yeah, I spent the first 15 years of my working career in big tech companies, um, the likes of Capgemini and Avnet. And I, I guess I was probably the first person in the office to get an iPhone, first person to get an iPad. I would have been online 24-7 before anyone else in the office. And at the time, I thought that was really doing me a lot of favors from a productivity point of view. But I think I was what I describe as a perceived high performer, because in the long run, it really wasn't sustainable. And my well-being and productivity suffered. So I changed career about five years ago. Um, temporarily, for a couple of years, I worked overseas with not-for-profit agencies, and I spent a lot of time off the grid. And it really gave me this great opportunity to kind of reflect on my own relationship with technology and just start to look at how I might be able to help others with their own digital well-being. I then became interested in kind of the science of behavior change and how if we make some small changes to how we use technology, we can have some really positive impacts in relation to um, productivity, sleep, relationships, and just start to reduce the, that kind of feeling of noise we all get when we overuse technology. So I was going to start the interview by saying, so so why do you hate tech? So clearly you don't hate tech. No. But there is, there is a fine line between use and abuse, maybe? Yeah, and from day one, we, we've been very keen at Unplugged to emphasize the word balance. Um, you know, I've always been a fan of technology, but then in my own experience with it over the last 15 years, I found those impacts in my productivity and well-being. Um, and looking at other people now, you know, it's all about creating that balance and foremost actually being aware of your relationship and then looking to make change. And so you, you kind of hinted that when we were chatting before that um, some government programs you work with, they're, they're trying to almost get you to detox totally, but you don't necessarily think that's a good thing you do, except that there is a minimum we need to have technology in our lives. Sure, yeah. I think it's kind of the elephant in the room saying that technology is, is a bad thing because um, it's definitely not going away. If we look at Asia, which I'll be at different cultures, um, the likes of China, Japan and South Korea, where internet addiction has been government recognized for the last 10 years. Um, they do government funded programs called digital detoxes. And digital detox for us is not something we necessarily agree with. Um, just the phrase digital detox, A, suggests that technology is a bad thing, which we don't think it is. And B, detox is really all about getting rid of something for a set amount of time. Whereas for us, Habit change is really a process as opposed to an event. So it's all about making small behavior changes in how you use technology, um, which is very different from a digital detox, and it's more sustainable. You used the word addiction there, and that was one of the things I wanted to ask you. Is it addiction per se, or is it just a bad habit? I, I always get in trouble when I use that word, so I'll try not to use it again. Now, it's a very strong word. Um, the majority of us would have what I describe as a compulsive relationship and that we have a habit of checking our phones. So that kind of, that builds as far as a habit of distraction. And it's when it starts to interfere with some of our key well-being components. So when it interferes with our sleep, when it interferes with our well-being and our relationships, then it can creep into being an addiction. But it's a very, very rare case in today's island at the moment. So if, for, for people listening, is there like a little personal audit you could do to see how bad you are? Let's, let's, we won't call the people addicts, but 
how much they rely on the tech to the point where it's too much? Is there a little audit you could do? There is, and that's actually part of our program. So any behavior change that you go through, the first thing you do is you essentially do an as-is or a log. So if you think of a diet, you do a food diary. If you think of a, when you're training for a physical event, you do a training diary. Um, so when it comes to technology, oddly, we'd actually recommend that you use tech to check your tech. Um, slightly ironic, but this really works from a behavior change point of view very positively. So there's two apps we'd recommend. Um, one is called Moment and works on iOS, and the other is called Rescue Time and works on Android. And essentially what they do is just have them running in the background and they check how much you're using, what tech you're using, what different times of day. So you can start to develop a little bit of awareness around how much you're using it. Because the key thing with um, items like this where we are developing a compulsive relationship, very rarely we'll see it as an issue unless we know just how much we're using it. And some of us now are checking our phones up to 200 times a day, but it's more than likely those using it more won't be aware just how much they're using it. So that first step really is to, to just raise awareness and then talk amongst your peers just to compare, you know, are you using it less or more than your peers? So again, just gauging and finding out for you, is it impacting different parts of your life? A key one would be sleep. You know, if you're getting up in the middle of the night and the first thing you check is your phone, then maybe just think of making some changes around that. So leave it outside the bedroom, turn it off. Yeah, it's a very, very difficult thing, um, smartphones in the bedroom. Uh, now, as far as the impact, there's a number of issues there are circadian rhythm so as far as the blue light that's emitted from the phones this is quite a familiar story to most of us now um, the blue light emitted basically makes our body think that it's the middle of the day um, so it's quite difficult for us to go to sleep however apple and um, other smart devices are now overriding that by changing the color of the screen after a certain time during the day which is great however the main thing for us is if you have a compulsive relationship with that technology and you have it next to your bed, it's a little bit like going to bed on a diet and having a cake next to you. It's the first thing you're gonna to touch when you wake up. And that's just, you know, you're essentially again going into this world of potentially information overload where your mind's gonna be very distracted and will be will find it difficult to let go. Now, the hard thing's getting technology out of the bedroom because smartphones are the best alarm clocks there are. You know, if you go into Brown Thomas or any at a leading departmental store and ask, listen, you know, say to them, what's your best alarm clock? They'll show you a docking station, right? Um, now, you could go the kind of the prohibition route and just get a really cheap alarm clock. But habit change, behavior change comes from rewarding and an emotional buy-in. So if you are going to change it, you need to find an alarm clock that you actually really, really like. So for kids, you know, Peppa Pig alarm clocks, whatever floats your boat as an adult. But finding an alarm clock that does something, ideally, that your smartphone can't, um, but you actually are attracted to. So that's, you know, the behavior change, getting the smartphone out of the bedroom, you really need to find something positive as a replacement. Okay, so if, if I ever go to bed with cake and the phone, mm. I have serious problems, that's what, that's what you're telling me. And, and equally, are you predicting a, a resurgence in sales of the good old-fashioned radio alarm clock? Um, potentially. I mean, again, it, you need to find what works for you. If that works for you, if it's cool and retro and it fits with your house, then great. Um, but the other thing to mention is, you know, baby steps, small steps with this. Because if you are used to having your smartphone there and it's working for you and you are still getting sleep, then you might not necessarily need to change too much. But maybe just a couple of nights a week, see how you get on without having the smartphone in the room. For, for the majority of things, if you go through an extreme change, such as prohibition or digital detox, as we talked on earlier, your body will typically react to that in quite a negative way because it's a little bit like ripping a plaster off quickly. You know, you need to do things quite subtly and just introduce them and see how you react to that before making a big change. 
And just for people who rely on the smartphone or the iPad or the laptop for professional life, is there any hacks hmm. you can tell us that might reduce the reliance on it and increase productivity or just even good behavior with tech in, in professional life? You want me to give away all the tips that I'm going to be giving at the summit? Well, maybe just um, one then. <laughs> um, well, I think just coming back to that awareness component, one thing that's really useful to be aware of when you're a professional is boundaries. So what we find is a lot of the bigger firms we work with, and this is specifically in relation to law firms and management consultants, we found that a lot of them have to be online 24-7. It's just the nature of their business. And what they're finding is trying to create boundaries around when they're at home so that they can still have quality time with their family and friends, but still be available. When you're looking to do that, first of all, you just need to raise awareness of how to do that, sorry, awareness of how, how much you are using during family time and how much maybe personal stuff you're using at work. The second stage then is to start to create boundaries. And I can tell everyone at the summit how to do that. Very good. Can I just flip it on his head for a second? Um, I have read that, say, if there's someone suffering from depression and they're using an app like maybe Twitter and you can there's apps that work in the background where they know on a regular day when you're feeling good you tweet 10 to 12 times a day and what time you tweet at and if you fall away from this pattern that it's a signal that maybe your depression is rearing its head is that a myth was that just a good read for me or is there a practical application in well-being for, for tech like that? Uh, there definitely is. I think it's a very individual um, thing. And it's, it's something as far as the relationship with mental health. You know, we have a psychologist and neuroscientist in the team. It's not really my place to talk about it too much. I mean, the key thing to note is we all know the concept of faking it till you make it. So if you have a balance whereby you are posting really positive things and it's helping your mental health, then that's great. The, the key there is to be aware of the fact that social media quite often kind of replaces social fabric the existing social fabric that we have and it's very useful at doing that because typically within modern communities we don't have the social fabric we used to do you know we don't have the neighborhoods we don't have community groups like the GAA clubs aren't as um, prolific as they used to be and even just the concept of church I'm not a religious person but that concept of community is so important social media can replace that but so long as you're aware that you're not then just spending all your time on social media, you know, balancing that human being, so having face-to-face -face relationships with human doers, the screen time is, is really key there. Okay, and the last thing I want to ask you about is the kids, of course. Hmm. I mean, at one point it was television was going to ruin the children, then it was video game, and now, I mean, we were chatting earlier, it's, it's hard to go out to a social setting where you don't see a kid with a bit of technology in his hand for distraction, and, you know, as a parent, I understand how you can maybe over-rely on some of those sometimes. Mm. How big a threat is it for children's developments? Over-reliance yeah. on, on tech, obviously. I, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and my parents were always saying I was going to get square eyes as a child, and I think I, I seem to have ended up okay. Um, the, the key difference within this digital technology age we're living in now is that it's interactive and it's push. So what that really enables technology to do is play a little bit more to some of our basic psychological needs of belonging. Um, so that means that children are essentially quite vulnerable because adolescents, teenagers, go through that process of really needing to feel that essence of, of belonging. Um, and technology gives it to them on a very simple platform. So back to that concept of balance, I do think it's something that we're seeing the millennials be a lot more aware of. 
um, socially aware. So say, for example, the Digital Youth Council, um, which is a group of leading tech experts who, the majority of which are teenagers, came to us a couple of years ago saying, listen, our lives are technology, but we're conscious this is just starting to have an effect on our well-being. Can you help us? And we're seeing a lot of that, but it's really down to the individual. Um, back to what I was saying earlier about change, it's, it's different for each one of us. However, we would say, you know, kids overall, um, the, the biggest change we'd recommend is for parents to try to lead by example. It's that lovely phrase of monkey see, monkey do. Um, and the more parents are seen to be using technology in front of the children, potentially you're taking the attention away from the children. But again, everything in moderation, because we have to use technology for some really core components of our life. So back to that concept of balance, that's really important. Balance. So if there's one key takeaway, it's, it's balance, basically. Yeah. And, and I suppose responsibility to accept how much you're using it or not using it. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Okay, listen, tell us what we're going to hear from you on the day, Chris. So... I alluded to some tips earlier. I'm going to be talking you through some of the key components of our program, which are really around how you raise awareness, um, how you then start just to put together a bit of a, an organization of your technology so that you can be more effective in managing distractions, um, and then look to create some boundaries so that you can actually have uh, increased focus and attention. But the key thing to note is throughout everything we do, it's all going to be about behavior change. Now, that's really down to the individual. So I'd encourage anyone who's coming along to try and grab some time with me after. I'll be there for the full two days, happy to answer any questions. Um, and then I look forward to meeting you all on the, the Wednesday morning. I think I'm on stage. Yes, I think Excellent. so. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. Listen, Chris Black, thanks many for your time. Thanks, Fergus. Cheers.